people that are waving palm branches on Palm Sunday in a not-too-near future or not-too-distant future are yelling, crucify him, we don't want him king over us. And I know I'm supposed to preach this really cool sermon about Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but I need to take a different tact because while this is the eighth Easter Sunday that I, or Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday combination that I've preached, as I was studying this thing, I saw something else in the text that I have never seen. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you start to see something that you've never seen and suddenly it is so strong that maybe you can't get past it? I was having one of those moments in it. And I, and I even had, had the text change that uh, David read for us this morning about the exorcism and about the sweeping of the, of, the, of the home clean and what happens and all that because it is in this text this morning of what Jesus does with the temple. Now, I want to draw some connections for you. Before you get there, there's just a couple of things I want you to know. First off, um, Jesus has a couple of spots where he says something about the rocks crying out. Is that the first place in the Bible rocks cry out? Does anybody know the very first place where the earth cries out against something? Cain and Abel. Right, that Cain kills his brother and the earth cries out over the blood spilled over it. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you start to see a pattern or something comes up and you go, huh, I've seen that before. The the way we interpret that is we go back to the original thing and we say that's the standard and this is adding to that story. In the same way that when Jesus meets the woman at the well and he says, where is your husband? And she says, I have no husband. What happens to women at the well in the Old Testament? Do I need to list off Abraham's wife meets, gets a husband? Isaac's wife gets a husband? Jacob's wife gets a husband? Moses' wife gets a husband? All meeting somebody at the well. I, to this point, my seminary professor used to say, well, you've got one now. <laughs> Because you met Jesus at the well, you've got a changed life. So these patterns, they exist throughout the Bible. There's a couple of them here this morning. And the other side about this is understanding what palm branches and clothes on the road mean. Because a king was supposed to enter a land to the waving signs of the local kingdom, which in Israel is palm branches. In America, we'd be waving flags. That's what's going on. And a clean road. Well, they didn't have a clean road, so what do they do to do a clean road? They set their cloaks in front of the donkey. So let's read the text, and then we'll get to the real meat that's been pushing me, which is at the temple. But you have to see all of this coming in. This is the triumphal entry text from Luke. Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples, and as he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there. No one has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're untying it, just say the Lord needs it. 
go into the town, go over to Country Chevrolet and get in a car nobody has ever driven. And when they ask you what you're doing when you're leaving with it, just tell them God needs it. They're going to say, oh, absolutely. So here we go. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And so they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Right? The coming of a king demands a new road. Make straight paths for the king. And when he reached the place where the road started down to the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for the mighty miracles that they had seen. Blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will cry out. There's your, there's your Cain and Abel moment where the earth cries out for the spilling of blood. That's what's going on in the Cain of Abel story. The, the rocks don't like it. And so he keeps going. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead. Because this is what triumphant kings always do when they enter the town in the parade, that he began to weep. There's something else going on in this text. This isn't just triumph, is it? If Jesus is weeping here, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and enclose you in from every side, and they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. This, this English is not strong enough. This is direct Second Kings Nahum language, Hosea language about what happened to Jerusalem when Babylon came and it sieged the town and there was no food in the town and everything bad happens along those lines. Jesus is specifically saying something. I want you to hear it. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. The place... And take your place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out or cast out in the Greek the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. This is the language actually of exorcism. Jesus comes in and he drives them out. And, there's, and he's not alone in thinking that the, this would happen. The Qumran community would, would essentially say that the Jerusalem community, uh, Jerusalem temple is so debased because first off, Herod had built it. He's not even part of the Jewish people. And then the high priest gets changed every year by bribing Rome for who gets to be the high priest
But then Qumran had some other ideas too. You know, they had this idea that if they could just, if they were the real true people of God and they were just good long enough, if they could just be without sin as a community for long enough, God would come. It would force his hand. I just want you to recognize some of the, um, some of the, the difficulty with that. Do you force God's hand ever? I just want you to recognize who's in control here, right? Um, God is not a pop machine that you put your money in and get what you want. Now, you might get what you want, but it's only after you've submitted to what he needs you to have and gives, right? Do you understand how if our hearts and minds are converted and we get a different mindset and we start to long after the things that God wants us to have, then suddenly we get everything we want. Because God's after that. If I were to ask you this question, do you want every single thing God has for you? What would you say? Yes. How about the things he doesn't want for you? Do you want those things? Well, sometimes. (laughs) When I'm not submitted completely, I kind of want some of the stuff he doesn't have. But the temple, the temple was viewed in lots of things. It's not true. It's not actually true. You can't say of ancient Judaism, well, Judaism believed this. One of the things they they beat out of you at seminary is saying that. They say Judaisms. There are so many different types of Judaism belief structures within Israel at this time. There's Qumran, who who thinks that Jerusalem is, it's it's worse than the... than what it intended to be because it's so it's so debased. And then of course you have Simon the Zealot, one of right, you have zealots who think that, well, they're they're really revolutionary terrorist groups that are going around trying to make sure Rome gets defeated as part of their faith. And it, and the fact that that Jesus has a disciple that's a zealot and a disciple that's a tax collector and they get along is something really important because tax collectors had a contract with Rome that said, for this city, uh, we want this amount of money. And the tax collector says, I'll get you that money. And then they go around assessing whatever they want to make sure that happens. And that's right that there's a peace thing going on here, but not in the temple. In the temple, you have um, selling going on and he casts them out. But what does he say in the text that David read for us today? David read this text from Luke 11 about this. This is, this is the piece of paper from the first service. That when, when the impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes away it's, and it's seeking rest and it doesn't find it. I said, I'm going to return to where I left. And when it arrives, arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. So Jesus sweeps the temple clean, and then what does the text say? He stays there. I, I hadn't read this yet, so I'm going to do this for you. And after that, he taught daily in the temple. And the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning how they could kill him. But they couldn't think of anything because the people hung on his every word. Right? He's occupying the cleaned house teaching the word of God, and there's not a darn thing they can do about it. He has swept the place clean. 
and he's doing it. Is this a big deal to me? Yes. I want to read a scripture for you about what this all means, just so that you know this. This is from Zechariah chapter 9. All, I know all of you have read Zechariah this last week in your devotionals. I love Zechariah. Zechariah's got some of the neatest stuff in it. Um, Zechariah chapter 3 has a spot where it literally says that God will remove the sin of the land in a single day. Is that not cool? Long before it happened. Here's Zechariah chapter 9. This is what why Jesus is coming and doing. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut, and he shall speak peace to the nations. That is not what they were looking for in general. They wanted to be loose of Rome, not loose of their battlefield tactics. He shall rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as, and as for you, because of the blood of the covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Does that sound like a political revolution? See, it doesn't really, does it? I will set your prisoners free from a waterless pit. What's the waterless pit? Sheol, the place where the... where where the worm doesn't die and the fire doesn't go out, which is the picture of Megiddo where they threw their garbage and every so often they would light it on fire. And what happens at garbage dumps that catch on fire? They just burn and burn and burn and burn and burn. Sort of like setting a rubber tire on fire. So, so just for an example, the Department of Transportation thought of a new roadbed for a road over in, in western Washington and they shredded up tires and they put it underneath it, and then when they put the blacktop on top of it, it set the roadbed on fire, and it burned for three and a half months. They had to tear the whole thing out, right? Some things just don't go out easily. But here is, by the way, this is the voice, this is the verse of the year for me, something that I thought of trying to do. I put on a necklace, some of you have noticed it, that says hope on it. Here's where that comes from. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today, I I declare that I will restore to you double. Is it possible that you might become a prisoner of hope instead of a prisoner of whatever else you're a prisoner of? Think about that. Because you are a prisoner of something. Some of us are prisoners to arthritis, and some of us are prisoners to to the schedule of the week, and some of us are really bad at being prisoners of the schedule of the week, and so we just skip things. There's more verses here that I need to do. This is from Malachi chapter 3, right? The Italian prophet. Most of us call him Malachi. This is what also is going on. The scripture is coming in. It just keeps coming in. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So what is Jesus doing? He's standing in the temple. He's cleansed it. He's there. 
but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings of righteousness. So what's Jesus doing when he's standing in the temple teaching? Who's always day and night in the temple? The priests and the people. Jesus is in the temple, and he's cast them out, and he's cast the old system out, and now he's teaching, but his goal is to refine the priesthood, the people who stand and deliver his message of hope to the world. Well, who is the priesthood now? Some of you might say, well, the pastors are the priesthood now. Well, part of it, but not the whole of it. What does it take to be a priest of God? Well, when you bring Jesus into your life and you say to him, I trust you and I become you, yours, and you are mine and I am yours, and then you're a priest. Now, the question isn't whether you're a priest anymore. It's whether you're going to be any good at it. That's a tough word, isn't it? Have you ever thought of yourself as a priest of God? I know we like to use other things like representative or maybe you're the ambassador for Christ and you're all this, but priest, you're the one who stands here in Colville and when you run into somebody that doesn't know Jesus, you get to be his representative and you get the chance to intercede for them with Jesus and with Jesus for them. That's what a priest does. But when the priesthood isn't working, it needs to be cleaned up. And that's what Jesus was doing. Who can stand? The very first thing he gets at is start cleaning up his representatives to change them. Now you might be saying, that is an interesting history lesson, Dave. Why did you go through all that struggle? Because Jerusalem missed the day of their visitation from God. And what he said is, when you miss the visitation, when I sweep you clean and I leave, and you don't fill it up, it's going to be worse for you than it was beforehand. And you don't have to look too far into the future of Jerusalem to find out that Rome had its way with Jerusalem in the same way that Babylon did. Not too long after this moment, Jerusalem is just flattened. Rome has had enough. Is that better for them than before? Nope. They just got rid of it. What does that mean for us today? The Lord whom you seek is here in the temple. Well, what is the temple? What do we understand the temple as now? We understand that the human body, the body, your body, my body, the body of Christ, even if you will, so that there's this, there's this radical nature that it's individual, right? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside there. A temple is the place where the Spirit of the God lives. Your, your body is a temple. 
but there's a corporate nature that within a church is also the temple of God, that the Holy Spirit dwells within here wherever two or more are gathered in his name. I am there amongst you. The the day of your visitation has come and you've been swept clean. And now what are you going to do? Well, I can just tell you from example about what happened to me as I was sitting in my paint studio recognizing that even the things that I did well, I couldn't do without him and that I needed him. And suddenly I fell in love with something that I had never done before in my entire life. I hadn't even started and I already liked it. I fell in love with reading the Word of God. And not just the Gospels, right? The easy stuff, right? The stuff that's just a... I just loved the Old Testament. I know you all just read it for fun and all that stuff, but a couple of times a year I would get through the Old Testament, and for every time I read through the Old Testament, I read the prophets two to three times. So what happened to me? I went to, off to seminary to learn more about the New Testament or the Bible and Jesus, and, and I wanted to be able to teach, and I wanted to do more. And I got into the Old Testament foundation classes the first place, and every question was designed for first or second time Old Testament readers. And I'd been reading the Bible so often for, for 20 years. By the time I got there, it's like, I can't even do these assignments. They're not for me. If you've got, if you get a question and it's for first time users and you're going, well, how would you learn how to do this? And you're going, I've been doing that for, for 500 years, you know, (laughs) it just, but I fell in love. I became a prisoner to the hope that was written on those pages. It infected me, if you will. Have you met somebody that's been infected by the Holy Spirit in something other than the Bible? I mean, I've, I've met people that don't read very well, and yet they still fall in love with God and what he's doing, and they submit themselves to that, and they become a prisoner to that, and it's just, it's just full of them. They're, they're full of that. Matter of fact, the week after Easter, I have a surprise for you. We're going to do an interview of somebody who's like that. He's just a prisoner to the Holy Spirit and the hope that lies within him. And we're going to talk about that in the Sunday sermon. That's what that's going to be. So it's not just reading the Bible, but for me, it was the Bible. But the Bible is not is not the Lord. It's the way we get to know the Lord. And from my perspective, it's this whole thing about bringing me into contact with him, the Lord who loves me and redeems me, who walks into our lives and visits us where we are. And it's not, and it's not, uh, I have this bugaboo about people that say that the only way you come to Christ is with these certain questions and you have to answer them right and then you're in or you're out by the right answer. Because the bugaboo is like this. Now, you guys missed it in the first service. Ted was here, and it was perfect. I said, imagine this. There's a store in Colville, and they're starting to sell lime green triple X shirts. And Ted goes, great, I'll have a place I can buy clothes. (laughs) But it's all they sell. 
one size for everybody. And it fits Ted great. Is there anybody else in here that wears triple XLs? Because they look pretty big on me. And I'm of medium size. But what happens is this shirt becomes, or this place becomes so popular that everybody's got to have one. And if you don't have one, pretty soon people are coming up to say, well, you've got to have one of these shirts. Can you imagine Dorla in a triple X lime green t-shirt? She'd be swimming in it. But that's not the way it is. That's not the way shirt shops work, is it? That they offer a variety. Why? Because not everybody looks good in lime green triple XL shirts. There are people that do. Ted would be quite happy. He said so in the first service. But this is what it's like. That God comes and meets me in the way that I need it. And he meets you where you're at. It's like the shirts are all different styles and you go into the store and, and they have something for those of you that like coats and ties. He meets you there and it's perfect because he knows exactly what it is that you're going to need and he meets you there. And there is hope. Can you become a prisoner of that hope today? There's other scriptures to say. I mean, I can just say this right here is like, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Do you know what that means? That you've got hope within you. That you're a prisoner of hope. Return to your Lord, O prisoner of hope, from Zechariah 9. What does it mean? The Lord has visited you and you didn't miss the moment of his visitation and you have been cleansed and now you've become a prisoner of that. Well, prisoner is not the word you want to say. Well, you've elected and you've voted yourself on the island, if you will, right? Don't use the word prisoner if it bugs you. It doesn't bug me a bit. I think of Christianity as a way that what the way that it's been at work in me and then the way that I'm supposed to work in those around me as I like the language of infection. I think that the, it's infected my system to the way that my system was in dysfunction and now God has infected it with health. And is that jarring language to you? I hope so. Because the life of God is jarring and changing and hope-filled And sometimes it requires change, and sometimes he just sort of comes around you and holds you close. Are you ever in that spot where you need to be held close? I know some of you are in that spot often. Well, here's a word of hope. If you think about the hundred worst days of your life, he's batting a thousand. You've gotten through them. He's trustworthy in those difficult times because he knows who you are and where you live. Can you cling on to that moment of hope? Just hold on tight. Hold on for dear life because life is dear. 
and hope is the best of things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your moment of visitation, may we not miss it. May we not get caught up in all these little um, cul-de-sacs and rabbit trails and, and red herrings and wild goose chases that we tend to get caught up in, but let us get caught up in you. Help us get caught up in you. Fill us with you. That the hope that lies within us would just pour out and spill out on us and that it would infect the system around us with life and health and breath and everything else that comes from you. In your precious name, dear Jesus, amen.